Hello, and welcome to episode four of Dualistic Unity. I am playing the part of Andrew today. And I am Ray speaking for the trees because I came back from a week in the forest and I feel very much like the Lorax right now. Though I'm trying not to give in to opinion in general, um, I will admit it's, it's difficult to see the realities of uh, how humanity is, inter is integrating or, or rather not integrating with nature and the reality of even how much things can change in a 17 year time span, for example, because I went camping very close to the place where I had lived in the forest for eight months in a shack that I had built myself with my girlfriend at the time. And we went back to where we had built that shack and the forest that we had been in, it wasn't anywhere close to town. It was a good walk to get to our shack through the bush. It wasn't friendly territory at all, but there's like one or two logging roads going through there now. The shack itself has been torn down. It looks like somebody had tried to replace it sometime along the way. And, and it's just amazing. Like in 17 years, all of a sudden that forest, which had once seemed so familiar, seems completely foreign. A and you can it's almost sad that the generation that's coming up now, the people who are your age, for example, which was around my age when I went and did that, don't really have many options to do that experience. There aren't many options to get off the land and away from, or, or to get off the grid and just get away from everything and, and kind of survive on your own. There aren't any places to go. This one person actually wrote to me saying, you know, in my country, we're not allowed to go and live off the land. We're not allowed to live off grid because it's all protected forest by the government. And it's like, right, until they need to cut it down, right? Until they want to cut it down. And then it's so much for that protection, kind of like what's happening uh, on Vancouver Island with Ferry Creek right now. It's this old growth forest. It's one of the last old growth forests. And there have been people, hundreds of people out there getting arrested daily over the last several months. Even right now, I, I encourage people to look it up, Ferry Creek in British Columbia. But they're just cutting down this old growth forest, despite the fact that it is so essential to our, our ecosystem. It's so essential to the world and the environment as a whole. And it's just in the name of profit and short-sightedness and egotism and control and stability and the same stuff that continues to run this society as we look at it, right? It's just the, the cornerstone of how we operate as a species. And there's no awareness in it. It's, it's like habit takes on the appearance of intelligence after a while. And it's not, it's not intelligence. It's just us going through the motions, even when that's destructive. And it feels good because it's familiar. I was going to ask what your thoughts were on that occurrence, but you kind of went into it a little bit, but yeah, with, with a lot of these things that are happening in the name of profit and just growth and progression, I guess it's, I'm curious if there are going to be ways or we get to a point where we take a step back and look at it and think, is this worth it? But I think because we look at everything from this very separated individualistic lens, it, it's almost like I'm not sure unless things really, really, not that they aren't pretty bad already if they really really get to a point where it's actually impacting individuals significantly it's almost like it is but it's a slow progression I'm curious if you think there is going to be a point that it gets to or if you've thought about what that point would be because I don't know if I see that I, you know 
I've been uh, watching the absurdity for almost 20 years. And, and, and I remember back uh, after 9-11 and, and the massive response um, in, in terms of being um, anti-Islamic as a result of 9-11, even, even people who had nothing to do with it, the government response, the government, um, the, the media hype, everything about it. And, and it was just this absurd circus that again, justifiably to some degree, because there was something there that, that was impactful and, and, and changed the whole world. There was just a huge amount of fear, but then the system just came out on force and in force. And they're like, oh, let no tragedy go you know, uh, unused. And so they did and they, they solidified their power and they did what they always do. And it became another way to make money and profit. And, and, and then I remember uh, Rudy Giuliani was, uh, he, he had a fundraiser where the donation to get to the fundraiser was nine hundred and eleven dollars. It's like, ah, oh, really? Like, you don't think that's a little bit, you know, just not respectful. Let's say that. Let's just say you're, you're marketing a tragedy again. And that's kind of the point. But I've been watching the media ever since then and, and the government. And yeah, I think about it constantly. What is going to be the breaking point? What's what's going to be the point where we turn around and at one point, I was absolutely sure it was going to be, you know, the apocalypse, Armageddon, like it was just going to be World War Three or, or something weird happening, a comet from the sky. And that's all possible. It's not like Earth doesn't get pummeled from time to time. I think it's every 400,000 years we get a super volcano and then there's, you know, um, extinction level events that happen fairly regularly. So that's not out of the question. But over time, I've kind of realized that I, I gravitated towards that, that end result because it's almost easier than the alternative which is thinking that we can change which is thinking that we can one person can in fact in their own life by their own will create enough ripples that the rest of the whole feels it right and that's that's what every you know uh, religion circles around is some crazy asshole who's thinking the same thing like you know if i'm just talking about this all the time maybe we can do something and and that's it I, and i think more and more, the older I get, I think that is more a possibility. And this conversation kind of solidifies that, right? Conversations I have like this with more and more people, it, it's inspiring to me. Every day I get messages now on TikTok or Instagram from people who are thinking about this stuff. And 20 years ago, I was the odd man out. I was, I was the crazy person in the room. And now I'm not. I'm not. I'm the reasonable voice in the room going, no, no, we're not disconnected. This is all... This is all based on a misunderstanding. And at one point it's like, shut that guy up. Now it's actually, this does kind of suck and I'm noticing it more and more. Maybe I should listen to what that guy's saying, right? And, and that's all I'm ever saying. I'm saying the same stuff. That's what I love posting about my videos from 2005 is I'm pretty consistent. I've just gotten a little bit more clear, right? I've just gotten a little bit more out of the way. I'm not like, you know, I'm gonna save the world. It's, there's no me. This is just ripples that are happening. I'm just part of something that's happening. And that's what I mean by, yeah, I, I think about this stuff all the time. Like, it's very hard to not look at the changes individually and then look at the changes collectively because as above, so below, right? Yeah, we, we change the same way collectively as we do individually. We're just a bigger mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've, I've at least in my short time here noticed that I think I'm seeing it in different areas. Like there's so many different pockets of society and things that we do and ways that we interact. And I think it probably started more so with your generation, like my, 
you and you and uh, you're kind of in between me and my parents' generation. My parents are getting close to 60 now. And I think since them, we've started to have more people just questioning things. And I guess it probably started with, you know, the 60s and, and sort of that. Um, or the roaring 20s. I mean, yeah. there have been regular events in history where sizable pockets of humanity have went, hold on, we're not like, we're not thinking the right way. Look at the civil war in the United States, right? And basically over slavery, that's a sizable pocket of the population that suddenly went, no, okay, we have to do something about this, right? So mm -hmm. it's like we regularly have these little bubbles of awareness that surface in, in our collective mentality, right? And then they change everything. But each of us individually are part of those bubbles. That's kind of the thing that gets me. It's like, are we part of the bubble or do we cause the bubble? Like, <laughs> how much of a role do we have in this? And, and I find that the more we're willing to take it on ourselves, just it's like I've said to my daughter, if there's nobody else in the world who's trying to get past their own egotistical crap, at least there's you, right? And, and that should be enough. If it's just me, so be it. And, and that mentality just seems to have more of an impact than, you know, we're going to get together as, as, as a soul family or a spiritual army and we're going to change the system. And, and it's like, well, what does that mean? What, what do we mean by we're going to get together now? We're, we're coming together out of a need to fix things. We're coming together out of mentality of control. And we're doing so in a state where we're not thinking clearly and responsibly as the awareness of the universe, which is why we want to get together, is why we want to, you know, band together to create kind of an army or a spiritual, you know, um, force. And, and so we missed the point. It's kind of like um, 2008. I don't know, remember, if, you remember Occupy Wall Street? Mm -hmm. Yeah, vaguely. I mean, I was 13. They had a great point, right? Like what I liked about Occupy was that and, and how it started was that everybody just acknowledged there is something drastically wrong with the system. There's something wrong. And so everybody got together and went, this has to be addressed. We need to address this. We're going to occupy you know, the source of corruption and greed as we see it. And we're going to make a, a big noise. And I, I found the system's response to that brilliant, which was, well, what specifically is your problem? And so they, they kind of divided the Occupy group based on that because everybody has their own individual gripe based on their own individual perspective of themselves. And so they started arguing amongst themselves. And then the Occupy group actually ended up dividing down the middle between the richer people and the poorer people, because of course they're still identifying, they're still being egotistical. So they're standing up saying, there's a problem with the system. The system's going, oh, well, what's the problem? Everybody's arguing about what the individual problems are. And that was the problem is the mentality that was creating that argument. It was the mentality that was creating that competition, that comparison, that continued division between each of us. Whereas the whole point was the original argument, which was there's a problem. There's multiple problems that stem from it. And we need to stop what we're doing in order to fix it. And we never did. We never stopped. We just found a way to keep rolling with it. And so now does it come down to a calamity that makes us do it or, or do conversations like this? turn the tide or is it going to be a combination of the two yeah i definitely think it could be a combo and with the occupy wall street example it almost makes me think that there's someone on the inside who knew what the problem was on the on the wall street side and they kind of use that against to within like sort of break down the occupy side of it from within and it makes me wonder like does someone actually know what the problem is and they don't care and they're using it to their advantage just to have more money or whatever it is still realizing 
the egotistical side of it, but then like they almost knew it and they could use it. It was, I don't know, that seems kind of interesting. Like, or is it a knee jerk response, an automatic response of the ego of that mentality? Just like, you know, leave no, no tragedy unsquandered, right. Or no tragedy squandered. It's like, what can I make of this? What can I use this for? And, and, and that's just, that is a natural mentality when we're separate from the universe. We're always trying to figure out how to survive against something that's separate and therefore scary, right? And so we get competitive and controlling and we start to look at people as, as disconnected and we start to you know, um, kind of close off our empathy because empathizing with the people that you're stepping on in order to protect yourself makes it more difficult for you to do those things to protect yourself. And so you have to sacrifice your, your security for empathy. Right. And so it's, it's a weird trade. And so again, like how much is the, how much of what is happening is the result of our overcommitment to a mentality rather than a small group of people who are manipulating the masses. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of brings about that idea of problems of the mind can't be solved. The level of the mind has to be something greater than, and, and realizing that, yeah, maybe the problem is just the idea that we are separate to begin with. And and the how sure we are of it and there's that's almost something that people never question it's like it's like i'm not sure even someone who's not sure of many things and questions a lot of things they could say i'm not sure of many things but i'm sure that i am andrew or i'm sure that i'm this person it's like the one thing left out of someone who could question a lot that like they're seemingly sure of it's like well have you ever questioned that and maybe that is sort of will open the door to, to change and, and true progress back, maybe seemingly backwards progress, but totally. yeah, no, a lot of certainly. factors change that response, right? Like how comfortable they are, how old they are, how long they've been invested in this game, how, how much of the people around them are invested in the same game. I find that very, that that's another thing that really sucks because it's a crab bucket, right? Right. every crab's trying to get pull the other crabs down as they're trying to escape and so nobody gets out of the bucket because all the other crabs are pulling them back in and and that's very much the mentality it's like you know you, you try in toxic family relationships especially you, you try to get past your mentality of yourself your idea of yourself you start to get past your limitations and all of a sudden everybody comes out of the woodwork telling you no you are that thing no the, you are the thing we think you are that's it you know you're just you're deluding yourself into thinking you can change or you can and they they try to pull you back into identifying the way that makes them comfortable right? and and so again it's a, it's a knee-jerk response and you can get angry at them about it but they don't see that they're doing it Right? They don't understand that's what they're doing because it's just the way they see the world. To them, it makes perfect sense. Right? That, that's it. And so it's almost like you're talking a different language or you're speaking a different language when you go to somebody in that mentality and you're like, you know, you, let's just question ourselves. And they're like, you know, why would I do that? It took me forever to build this idea of myself. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? That's what everybody around me is doing. Everybody's telling me I'm this thing. Why would I do that? And you're just like, when you suffer enough, it'll make sense. And that's, that's the point. And then I think that goes back to your original question about what's going to be the tipping point. I find more people are questioning because our, our reality, our society is creating so much consequence under the surface. It's so interesting. We have so many conveniences. We have, you know, uh, digital devices that connect us in seconds. And yet we're so disconnected from one another, right? We, we have so much information and so little self-knowledge. And so it's, it's such an interesting duality again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seems like with a lot of things in 
our society now, it's, it's like, we've gotten to a point that we're, you know, we both live in first world countries and it's almost, it seems to me like there's been sort of two paths or two ways you can take it. And one side is that you can find all of the problems and sort of like manifest problems into your own life that, and complain about certain things. And we call them like, you know, first world problems. And if you really are able to take a step back, you realize how silly it is to complain about, you know, if you're at a restaurant and you order water with no ice and they bring water with ice or something, you know, something crazy like that, where someone's literally serving you and you have the amount of money, enough money to pay for it. Or I think there's the other side, which we're kind of doing now with this conversation is, is questioning and almost purposefully becoming less comfortable and realizing that there is more things to question instead of just, you know, on that fork, instead of just kind of settling there and just being like, well, I don't have to take either of these. I can just hang out in the fork in the road, um, which, you know, and again, there is no better or worse options. And there's a lot of environmental factors, I think, that play into the route that people choose that often gets forgotten when it comes to manifesting and whatnot. But I've, I've seen definitely both sides to it. And I think, you know, there, there's ways to veer off of that former or the first path I mentioned, but yeah, I think it's, it's all a part of the process for everyone collectively. Um, and eventually, you know, I don't know, things will keep happening, I guess. <laughs> There's so much effort that goes into our collective egotistical mentality. I mean, there, there's so much control and I, I used to call it spinning plates, right? The more, the more you're trying to juggle your idea of yourself, the more spin, plates you have spinning, you know, the more you have to worry about what that person thinks and that person thinks and what you've done over there. And did you do enough to do this? And you're always trying to live up to this invisible bar that you set for yourself, but it becomes overwhelming. And, and after a while you start to stress out and that stress takes its toll on your body and that, that toll on your body takes its toll on your motivation and everything else starts to suffer. Your responses to people change. You start getting more testy, more resentful. You start to think of yourself, your serotonin drops and it becomes this downward spiral into depression and apathy. And it was all just because of the original mentality that we were committed to. Whereas, you know, if we just went, I don't need to spin all these plates, this is stupid. I can just let the plates fall because I, I can just put up more plates. None of them are really me. It's not really that important. I can choose which plates I want to spin because I want to spin them, not because I think I need to spin them. And all of a sudden, all that weight falls off and we find ourselves more clear and we find ourselves more able to see things in a different light. We see more possibilities. Everything opens up. And, and that's the one-step process that we talked about last time, right? Is that we keep trying to figure out, well, how do we change the world? It's like, well, we got to get our head out of our ass before we can even answer that question. I, 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 we can't have the conversation, how do we change the world until we address the mentality that's not able to see the solution? Certainly. Yeah, I think, I think we, we build up all of these, and we've talked about this before, these ideas of what we have to do and what we should do and, and who we are, and they're all made up and they're not necessary. And I think it's something that I've sort of been, I don't want to say struggling with, but sort of toying with is this new idea that I've always been driven in different ways for different reasons. And 
I've gotten to a point that's been sort of up and down, realizing that I don't need to do as many things or, or accomplish as many things. And so part of me feels like feels kind of bad, like I should be wanting to do things or like striving towards things. And I still have things I enjoy and do, but because I don't, I know that I don't have to, it's been kind of this back and forth where I think today was a day or yesterday. I wasn't like, you know, productive, didn't do all the things that I would have wanted to do, or I don't even know exactly how to explain it. And then today I, I did more things, but it's just kind of like this, this back and forth of always being very rigid and structured with things and things that I wanted to do. And, and I still will keep a to-do list of just to remember if there are certain things that I want to do, because I'll forget if I don't write it down, but I don't know. I find myself sort of going back and forth and, and almost wanting, like sort of craving that structure to have back in my life and my, you know, very set morning routine Whereas some days I, I don't want that, but then some days maybe it's my ego coming back and being like, you need to do, be doing this or you need this. And I know that I don't. So it's been sort of a back and forth. I don't know if you experience. For similar. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and well, I, I mean, I was, uh, I, I was more or less raised an army brat. So discipline was a big part of it. I went to, to an academy for high school where we had you know uh, uniforms and inspections in the morning and we had to do all that. And so discipline was a big part of that. And of course there's, there's work, there's all the stuff that goes with work or learning if you're in school or any of that. So there is a benefit to keeping track of all that, especially if you have a lot to juggle. Um, but then there's the, the stuff that we add on top of it, like the psychological pressure. Like, you know, if I don't do that, I'm a failure. Right. If I don't do that, oh, my God, the whole world's going to fall apart. And so we, we take the task list and we start to actually like put, project our assumptions onto it. We start to project other things onto that task list that don't necessarily have to be there. So it, it, like with everything, it's in balance, right? Like some days I wake up, I'm like, OK, I'm up. I'm going to do my push ups. I'm going to you know, make some myself a coffee and some breakfast. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to do all that. And then other mornings I wake up and I'm, like, I'm going to go take a walk for 15 minutes and then come back and just get straight to work. And it's whatever I feel like in the, in the, at that day. But knowing that I can switch without it meaning anything about me, knowing that I can be disciplined one day and then the next day go meh, right? that's the freedom, right? It's not like, I don't have to beat myself up if I'm not doing one or the other. It's like, oh, I was disciplined today. Therefore, I'm not flowing with the universe. Shit, I'm going to judge myself, all right? Or, or, or the opposite. And it's like, no, either way, you're flowing with the universe. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, we look at humanity, look at society, and we're like, oh, this is not the natural world. Well, of course it is. To some degree, this is an expression of nature. This is an expression of us, nature, going down a different path, right? It's all the natural world. Now, does that mean that we're always going to be so one side dominant? No, we're, we're going to find that e equilibrium as above, so below, just like with your schedule, is it discipline or flow? It's kind of both. And it's finding that balance. But our society is very much focused on the discipline, right? On the, on the hard square edges, as opposed to the, the squiggly lines as Alan Watts used to refer to it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes you would say the spikes, versus the squiggles or yeah, certainly. And I've always been much more on the spiky side and much more 
just like quantitative in my thinking and analysis of things always more you know better at the math subjects and whatnot um but it's been yeah it's been interesting and i think it's like an adjustment that i have to go through almost not have to but i am going through it so it is what it is more or less um but i've been through things like this before and i always come out the other side finding more balance and i've been because i'm kind of a person of extremes for the most part like when i'm in on something like i'm in on it i'm passionate about it for sure and then sometimes like i'll find something else that'll kind of grab my attention and i'll be able to take what i learned from that and move on and continue and so i think with this i've all like i've spent 26 years being extremely disciplined and rigid and you know i've i've gone to i went to the college i wanted to go to played the sports i wanted to play you know because of that more or less so there's definitely been you know i've i've derived benefit from it i guess and now i sort of have this realization that i i don't need to and i may find some other types of benefits from not doing that all the time so sort of cut some of that out and i'll probably end up taking some from both. And I think maybe I've pushed it too far to where maybe I can add a little bit more structure in and eventually it'll find its way. But I think a key, like you mentioned, is just not judging yourself along the way. And I think just literally as we're talking right now, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing this, that it's probably, I went to a side that I have never been to and eventually it'll, you know, course correct and i'll come out and it's i'm different and changed and as you always are but yeah i think i think it's just all part of that sort of process of of learning and, and changing and growing oh but hold on we, we have to you know analyze and categorize how you're changing and we need to set up structures and institutions to you know to discuss how you're changing and exactly what's happening and all that and it's like okay or 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 I could just take a walk, right? And I'll feel better eventually. Um, and, and that's it. But we we get really caught up in, in the personalization of what we're going through. And I found that was one of my biggest problems when I, I was you know, going through my mental health issues was that I kept getting told, oh, you have this disorder. And oh, you have this disorder. And this is what's happening. It's like, oh, that's me now. And that's me now. Now, everything I saw was through the lens of the disorder that I thought I understood, which was really just a categorization of other people with similar behaviors and then a bunch of assumptions on top of that. And, and so it was eventually going, right, right, right. I'm just tangled up in a bunch of, of perceptions and, and habitual responses. I have to un, unweave that. I have to just look at where I'm, I'm responding out of habit. I'm responding out of, out of um, assuming that this instance, just because it's similar to a previous instance, deserves the same response, right? And so it's just being honest with myself over and over and over again. And, and that's really it. That, that's a big part of the one-step process we talked about last time is brutal self-honesty. You have to be brutally self-honest. Like one of my hardest lessons was realizing that I was manipulative, right? Realizing that I was manipulative because I was needy, and because I lacked in myself and I was, I was selfish and self-involved. And, and of course I was. That's how, where I thought value came from. 
right? And so I had to swallow that pill. And that's what helped me get over that was admitting that I could be that person, admitting that I could be a liar, admitting that I could be manipulative or that I could be dishonest because we avoid that because it doesn't, doesn't sit well to admit that we could lie. Right. But it's true. Every child can lie. Every person can lie. Anybody who tells you, oh, I, I could lie is full of shit. They're lying to you right then and there. Right. And, and that, that's the whole point is it's always in us. All of it is. And as soon as we are able to accept that without judging it, as soon as we're able to see where it comes from, then we're able to avoid it better or rather we're able to to learn from it without falling into it. Yeah. Where do you find the importance of figuring things out for yourself. Like we talk a lot about this idea of, you know, there is no should, you don't need anyone outside of yourself. You don't need a guru. You don't necessarily need a teacher. Do you think there is some balance necessary in that, in, uh, in getting to a point maybe where you can even, even, realize that because i know we've talked in the past about like aa and there's there's levels to all of this and how the end of aa is realizing that there is a higher power and then but maybe that's not exactly like 100 optimal but it's still getting the person from one spot to another so when it comes to you know helpful people outside of yourself or their ability to express something about you that you aren't just are not at the moment capable of even seeing. Cause I think sometimes people struggle with that as they don't, you don't know what you don't know. And oftentimes that is about ourself. Like some would argue that we can't even know ourselves. How can one know oneself? Like you can't cut a pair of scissors with a pair of the same pair of scissors. Your own um, teeth. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but when it comes to that, like the balance between using your own intuition, what's best and feeling like you need someone outside of yourself or, or utilizing people outside of yourself or tools outside of yourself. Even that's part of our intuition. I mean, to some degree, right? I, I think the danger is, is always just attachment. And even that, when you find yourself attached, don't attach to your judgment of your attachment, right? Like it's just, just recognize that you attached and, and, and kind of, you know, see that for what it is. And there's that brutal self-honesty again. It's like, right, I'm attaching. I'm trying to feel secure. I'm trying to, you know, pass the buck off to somebody else who's going to walk the path for me, whatever that might be. But yeah, everything goes in stages. Um, I was talking about uh, self-love and acceptance in a video recently. And uh, somebody said, well, if I'm a serial killer, so all I have to do is, is, you know, love myself. And I found enlightenment. And it's like, well, as a serial killer, do you think it would be that easy to do that? Do you think that you could just love yourself given the history and the road that taught, that brought you to there and all of the things you've done since then? Like that would require so much brutal self-honesty and so much in, internal struggle that it would happen over decades, possibly forever until that person died. They may never get to a point where they're able to actually self-love as a result of that, that process of brutal self-honesty. But that process would go down many different twists and turns. They would find themselves gravitating towards certain teachers and then gravitating away from them and towards other, you know, other disciplines like psychology or philosophy. And this is how, how our process goes. So as much as we can say it's a one-step process, it's a one-step process that plays out over what we view as time, right? And so all of a sudden, yeah, we do get drawn by our intuition towards, say, Krishnamurti. And then our intuition goes, 
okay, but you're like every time you're th- you're thinking about things, you're like, I gotta go read Krishnamurti. You're getting a little attached, right? And if we if we're honest about it, we go right, okay, and we we'll put that down, and we'll deal with the uncertainty that goes with having to rely on our own insight again, and we'll we'll weather that for as long as we can, and we'll find an, our our sea legs again. We'll find that balance. Then we'll go off in another direction entirely and we'll lose ourselves again and attach one more time. And then we'll learn from that, hopefully, if as long as we're self-honest and we'll pull ourselves back towards center. And so as with everything, it's just the process of refinement, right? Like right now I'm in a state where I don't necessarily want to go and read spiritual books. I don't want to go out and, and, and listen to spiritual you know, teachers on, on life and, and, and universe and all of that because I'm learning more from just the day to day like just from conversations like this or walking down the street and seeing something that's happening with the neighbors or, or, or anything like that. Like I'm learning more just from my moment to moment experiences because that's, that's the state of mind I'm in. Now that doesn't mean that at some point I'm not going to go suddenly, you know, careening off into the philosophical again, or, or just going towards, you know, something that's more uh, participatory as in, you know, trying to, to implement small ripples of change in the world around me. But it, grab, it goes one way or another because we're always learning from the context. And, and the danger, I think, is that we tend to think, oh, well, one avenue or another has to be my purpose. And it's like, no, no, you are your purpose. Like you, you are all the woven strands of everything you've ever done, right? You are just continuing to weave yourself into a, into a larger strand that, that creates more of an impact and weaves into other strands. Like you are your purpose. There isn't any one thing you're supposed to do. You are it. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. I think last episode with, you know, knowing yourself and who you are and, and your purpose, and you were talking about all these strands weaving. And I just imagined someone, you know, who say they're 20 years old and they found their purpose. And it's like, I feel like they, that's just an attachment to one of those strands that are trying to weave together. And once you've, you know, found your purpose, it brings about this sense of security, but then you get locked to that strand. And even though it's trying to weave back with everything else, you've made this decision that this is, you know, this is your purpose and I've figured it out. I got it nicely packaged up. Yeah. And then you you become attached to it and stick to it despite what may want to come along. And because you've attached to that and you, you know, believe that to be the truth, you're not, open to being able to see the rest of the strands that are coming your way because you're comfortable that's it right like i think um one thing i I found to be incredibly sad was uh mother Teresa, who who is you know renowned for all the good she did in her life she had a diary that she wrote during her life and after she died it was discovered that she had several moments after deciding to commit to you know her life of, of, as a missionary of going around and helping people for God, she actually had many moments of regret afterwards, because although she had one moment where she experienced divinity or experienced unity, and that's what it basically inspired her to want to help everybody. She saw herself and everybody. She saw us all as one, right? After that, it became a belief and it just became habit instead of being a renewed experience over and over and over again, it became a structure and something she had committed to and who knows what she might have done had she decided to change path had she decided to explore different areas rather than just committing to the one rule that she did which i'm not going to say wasn't tremendous in all the good that she did in the world but who knows what a soul as good as that a person as good as that could have accomplished had they not locked themselves into a certain role mm-hmm. yeah yeah makes you wonder 
but yeah, you mentioned before about uh, like serial killers and talking about self-love and whatnot and made me think of this idea of there, there not being a right way to be a person or a correct way to be a person and everything is as it is. There's no objective, good or bad. What do you say about serial killers and people like that? Because it's a lot of people's arguments are they, you know, maybe they have like a chemical imbalance and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I heard that too when I was uh, uh, going through depression and that there was a mm-hmm. chemical imbalance. Nobody ever tested the chemicals. Nobody ever actually like you know, did any kind of, of, of analysis on the chemicals in my brain. It was just more or less, oh, there's a chemical imbalance. There are, there are cases as well where uh, it's a result of, of um, trauma to the brain at a young age. Um, so it's behavioral. Uh, and that is, that is physically influenced, um, largely I, and again, I'm not going to lie. I've got a huge interest in, in serial killers and, and, and all kinds of crimes throughout history, just because again, what is the mentality that drives us to that? And by and large, it's the environment more often than anything else. It's the lack of connection or, or it's the toxicity of the family unit, or it's the toxicity of, of the mentality that they were taught, the perception of women, the perception of other people, the perception of other races. And so it just contributes over time until there's an outlet that makes no sense to the rest of us, but where they are in their mind, it makes perfect sense. And I think we tend to downplay that, that our consciousness, if we were to look at our consciousness as a geographic world, it's freaking huge. It's huge with infinite rooms. And in each of those rooms, different things make sense. Different things seem like they seem logical, right? In different states of mind, different things seem logical. And so, yeah, when you're far enough down a particular branch that happens to be dark and toxic and it takes you down other dark, toxic branches and that's all you learn the world is, bad shit's going to happen. And so I think that we can't, we can't have a discussion about these kind of people on the surface in the same way we can't talk about addiction being about the substance on the surface. We can't simply blame the action. We have to look at the contributing factors, the roots of that action. And the roots of that action are a profoundly sick society at the end of the day, just because we're so divided. We, we're, our mentality once again, discourages empathy. That's going to result in some nasty shit. And it has. I mean, that's the whole point. If you look at our history, we've been completely barbaric. And the cultures that haven't been barbaric, that haven't overcommitted to the mentality of of identity and division are the ones that we wiped out. Right. So we're seeing a resurgence of a mentality that's always there. That's what this conversation is. But it's, it's emerging after another mentality basically tried to stomp it out, mm-hmm. right? So I think that we'll see less crime and we'll see less murder and less anger and aggression and toxicity as we start identifying and, and coming to terms with where all of that comes from, what exacerbates it. Because while there's always anger, homicidal anger is an extreme and that's an extreme that has a lot of contributing factors no no child is born homicidal again unless there's certain physical you know contributions to that but it's not in us it's something that we learn it's something it's a it's a habit or a reaction that we learn over time that eventually becomes and again it takes the appearance of intelligence without being intelligent right 
that's why I enjoy, uh, if you ever get a chance, read The Many Minds of Billy Milligan. I'll write that down. That, that book is fantastic. It's, uh, it's about a person who had multiple personality and it's based on a real, uh, on a real person. Um, and this person basically just slipped in and out of the cracks of society, appearing normal as he drifted from one personality to another, holding down different jobs until eventually he was arrested for sexual assault because one of his personalities tended to want to do that. And so the whole story is about how this, this person suffering through this incredible um, mental health issue in terms of having multiple personality disorder had just been forgotten had just been left to, to fend for himself in society until finally he broke a rule that was hard enough for people to notice him. But that's happening all the time. And, and the life that he had that brought him to have to split himself in so many ways is just tragic in the extreme. And yet the mentality is, oh, well, it's a failure of the system. It's, no, it's a failure of us. That, that, that's our mentality that the system is reflecting. Right? We have to change individually, but we keep trying to change the system. So do you think someone like that, Billy Milligan, that could have that many different personalities? Do you think that's all learned? Or do you he actually he resolved born? them. That was the thing. Yeah. By the end of his life, he, he's cured. He doesn't have multiple personality anymore. He actually ended up creating his own extra character, whether it was willingly or not, called the teacher. And the teacher's role was to bring all the other characters together to help them integrate with one another to create one whole Billy. So he fixed himself once he had the environment that allowed him to do it. Wow. Just crazy. That's, yeah. That sounds kind of similar to <laughs> be related to society to a degree on a, on a mass scale. Well, look at Rat Wonderland. Have you ever heard of that study? I think that's what it's called uh maybe i don't know if i've heard of that name but so possibly. basically they took a bunch of rats and they put them in, in in an environment where they gave them a choice between i think it was water and morphine or, or or something like that and so the rats basically just kept going back to the morphine over and over and over again to the point where you know they were going to die and so what they did was they changed the environment they gave the rats like a little wheel to run on they gave them some some like stuff to play in some tunnels some things to entertain them and what they found was that the rats would just go to the water, occasionally going to the drug to kind of increase their enjoyment of the wonderland that they lived in. So once the environment stopped being so sterile and depressing, they got away from the drugs because they weren't trying to escape hell, right? So it's really the environment that we've created for ourselves and, and the environment that we've created is very disconnected. It, it's um, harsh in the extreme. Like we we pay to live on a planet that we spawned from. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite intriguing. That study is really interesting though. Just like the impact of environment. I feel like it, it's not considered enough almost. I feel like a lot of people, especially when it comes to mental health, just put it on, you know, the with the nature versus nurture debate, it's always it seems like all everything's just boxed into the nature side of it, you know, and I think everyone agrees there's a degree of both, but I just hear so often that, you know, 
the ideas of chemical imbalance and, and things like that when it comes to mental health that is so common. And, and so that just kind of allows us to not worry too much about the nurture or the environment. And well, we can just label people even... as broken. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm. We don't have to look at anything, but I, I always, that chemical in the brain argument always, always gets me because it, it's very much, you know, putting the cart before the horse, right? Like we're like, Oh, your emotional spectrum is messed up because your the chemicals in your brain are imbalanced. It's like, Right. But my brain responds to my awareness and my consciousness. So the chemicals it's creating are the result of where I went in my head, like in my awareness, like I, I'm creating chemicals that, that promote more anxiety because I'm in a mentality that promotes more, men, more anxiety, but it, no, no, the chemicals are doing it. And that just allows us to pass the buck and not do any self-reflection or introspection or any growth. Just go back to work. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Here's two pills. Right. And, and that's the whole point is that if we were to, it's like Krishnamurti said, you know, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society, right? And that's, that's it, is that we keep trying to adjust to the society around us, but the society around us is toxic. It's, it's based on an old mentality that no longer serves us. And we can feel it in our everyday lives. We feel it when we gripe about having to pay our taxes. We feel it when we gripe about corrupt politicians. We feel it when we gripe around the, about the fact that corporations pay practically nothing and they basically screw up everything for us and then put the responsibility on us, right? It's like there's what, six companies in the world that create almost all the plastics, but somehow it's on you to recycle. Right. So it's just it comes down to there's just this mass amount of cognitive dissonance that in order for us to change things, we have to change ourselves. That requires us to let go of this this mass experiment in comfort and control. And that's what it is. We can take things from this that worked that that everybody's argument is always oh so you just want us to go back to the caveman days to the stone age it's like no obviously why would we do that we have electricity we have technology we can use it i'm saying that maybe it's not the best idea to base everything on money or maybe it's not the best idea to allow lobbyists and and on in government or maybe it's not the best idea to have federally or, or federally run governments that are so large, they're disconnected from the people they're supposed to be representing. You know, we can take the things that worked, we can jettison the things that didn't and, and, and continue on. But in order to do that, a lot of people who have been benefiting from this game are gonna be super unhappy about it. And that's all we're really seeing. That's what we're seeing in, in corporate lobbying. That's what we're seeing uh, in politics is the sway of those who have been benefiting from this toxic game. And all we have to do is just keep going, right, but I don't need to buy your shit. And I don't need to believe in, in your, your mentality. I don't need to go out and support this movement or this movement because it's all bullshit. I need to grow, with my, grow in myself and talk to the person who's next to me like they are me. And that ripple will change everything. But we don't have any control. That's, that's the point, right? Is that we don't. It has to be about the moment we're in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming closer and closer to just realizing that more and more. And especially the last, you know, month or two, just questioning everything that I have for so long sort of taken for granted and just thought of being, you know, it is the way that it is. And and I've started thinking about this a while ago, but especially more seriously recently, just how 
absurd it is the idea of where we came from being, you know, coming from the earth to what it's turned into now. And it seems like it's just so separate and we're so far from that realization that we came from the earth and people have all of these ideas and stories about what we're doing here, what, where we came from. And, and it's just gotten so far from that, that it seems to me like it's going to take a lot to begin back towards that. Like it's been hundreds of thousands of years of this solidifying into what we have now. Well, I always find that interesting, right? We have what, about 10,000 years of, of, you know, documented history. And, and it gets sketchier as we go back. But I mean, we've yeah. been humans for over a quarter million years, homo sapien, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a hell of a gap in our history, right? Like that, yeah. that, that, that takes the whole Jesus gap and, and makes it laughable. It's like, oh, you know, Jesus <laughs> disappeared for 18 years. So it's like, yeah, we have no, we have 200,000 plus history, years of history of humans that we have no idea what we were doing. It's like, occasionally we find a cave, right? <laughs> or something mm-hmm. like that. But there's so much history. So, and again, on a, lo- a long enough timeline, everything seems like a short amount of time, but uh, we've been really committed to this for the last you know, six, 7,000 years, for sure. Agriculture kind of tipped the scales and then we got out of hand with that because agriculture in itself is not a bad thing any more than the, the, a car is a bad thing, right? Like the invention of a vehicle was amazing. Great idea. The idea that everyone should have one, maybe not so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like how many vehicles do we need to facilitate a community? Let's, let's talk about this, right? But then again, it came down to, well, if I own a car, it makes me important. It makes me successful. It makes me a pillar of my community. And it became identification again, right? And it, it, that's, that's the way things always go. I mean, um, Edward Bernays, who was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew, used Freud's analysis of the ego to change what we look at as as public relations in the early 1900s right he used identification in order to sway politics he used um the ego in order to change the argument about women smoking right like there were so many things that were so okay so edward bernays basically was hired by the tobacco companies to get rid of this taboo about women smoking. This was back in, I think, the 1920s or something like that. And so what he did was in, a, in the Macy's Day Parade, which was a big event at the time, he had a bunch of uh, rich debutante women come down and all at once light up cigarettes at the parade. Papers rushed over. They're like, what? How can this happen? He got, he got in front of them. He's like, no, no, they're supporting the suffragette movement. Those are torches of freedom. Boom. Women smoking was no longer a taboo because it was identification, right? Value by opposition, mm-hmm. right? And that was it. And, and, and he did that for a bunch of stuff. And because, you know, if you want to buy a, a set of shoes 120 years ago, you'd see a sign that says, you know, shoes guaranteed to last 30 years. Now you'll see a sign saying shoes guaranteed to make you taller or something like that. Like, it's just saying it's going to make you awesome to people. And it's like, it's a totally different selling point because now we think about ourselves instead of utility, instead of actually the function of the thing. It's interesting. Yeah, there is a lot. I've, I feel like just so much less on the utility side of things. And I've always, I feel like I've always thought more on the utility side of things and just i don't know when it comes to i don't know 
fashion or anything like that. It's like, do I want this one that has this name on it or this one that's way more comfy and not as expensive? It's like, yeah, I'll take the comfy one. Thanks. Like, I'm not, I don't need to spend an extra hundred dollars because it has this little stamp on it. But that's not like a lot of people do <laughs> think like that clearly. Um, but yeah, with the, with the idea before you're talking about you know, things happening and, you know, the car being a great thing, but maybe not to the extent that we did it. And I think I was thinking about this last week. If, if humans, like people talk about good or bad. And I asked, I, I started wondering like, well, is, are humans good or bad for the earth? You know, we came from the earth. We haven't been here the whole time we evolved. Are humans a good or a bad thing for the earth? And I, from the earth's perspective, probably, probably leans bad for sure. Are you sure? Are volcanoes uh, good or bad for the earth? uh, They, they are. They are. They are. And from them springs new life, from them springs new species, Mm. from them springs islands, right? And a forest fire, same thing. A forest fire clears all kinds of dead brush, sometimes disease and toxicity and, and makes way for new growth and change. Right. So humanity is neither good nor bad. It really comes down to what we do with it. And, and that's, that's the whole thing. We can't generalize it. Right. It comes down to what do you want to do? And what you do is neither good nor bad. It's just what it is. Right. But instead of looking at things in terms of good or bad, because that, that tends to imply uh, morality, let's just say, I tend to, to identify them if I'm going to identify them as destructive or constructive. You know, is this something that destroys or something that creates? And, and not everything that destroys is bad and not everything that creates is good, right? So I tend to look at it that way instead. You know, is it unifying or is it divisive, right? And, and neither is good or bad, but, but it at least indicates its nature, mm-hmm. right? And at the moment, humans are primarily divisive, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make us bad because we can swing the other way anytime, anytime mm-hmm. as we have before. Right. Like I said, 250 plus thousand years of history. We didn't build skyscrapers throughout all of that. We didn't have, you know, corporations that charged you, you know, 50 cents for the product you were buying and 80 bucks for the branding. Right. Like that, that, was, that was the whole thing. Right. Like we, we had cultures before this that were based on utility. It's funny because, I, again, I just came back from camping and my daughter hasn't went camping with me in a couple of years. And so we were out there and all of a sudden, we just all came together all of a sudden. It's like, this needs to be done and this needs to be done. And she was helping cut wood. And it was just, there was just a flow that happened. All of a sudden, there was no distraction. We were just all in it together. And then we were talking, I'm like, yeah, now imagine if we had, you know, a dozen other people who were, you know, like us or of like mind who were just wanted to get things done so we could all sit around the fire afterwards and hang out. And somebody else stoked the fire while you and I went down and got food. And that was the beginning of a community. That was the beginning of our villages, right? Is that, we worked together to kind of keep our little pocket of, of control or influence outside of nature, right? And then it just got out of hand. All of a sudden, you know, everybody ended up getting assigned um, jobs and roles. And then those assigned jobs and roles ended up getting, you know, different levels of importance. And then the community kept growing. And, and so what we saw was our pocket of control start to just expand and nature itself just started to get torn apart. And that, that's kind of how I look at it is that if you look at cities, 
or if you if you're flying overhead, right, you can see where humans are. It looks like a circuit board, right? But within ten years of, of humans disappearing, nature would just grow over that like like uh, a wound healing. It would just close up around it, right? So we have to constantly maintain our little bubble of influence, right? That's the danger. That's why our, our economy and our, our society is in such danger all the time is because the smallest thing can throw it. 2008 almost buried everybody economically, right? Like the, the world was within like a couple of hours of just economic collapse. And, and so that's kind of the point is that we have to constantly maintain this. Like now they, they were going to print a trillion dollar coin to try and like account for for their fictitious money game. Like how ridiculous is this? It's like, I'm just going to make a monopoly piece. Hold on. Right. <laughs> it's like, this, this is the point. So we're constantly, you know, just running faster and faster and faster, trying to maintain our game, even though the faster we, we run, the more the people playing the game suffer. Do you think that stems to a degree from people thinking, I don't know, short term almost in the span of their lifetime, something like, you know, inflation with just printing off a shitload of money. I mean, we're both, you know, interested in the crypto and, and Bitcoin space. And so I've done my fair amount of research into that. And just the idea of printing money when you need more, it's so silly. And yet grown adults make decisions to do it and print off trillions like so much and it just seems so silly and yet it's gotten to a point where it seems necessary almost to to them clearly i mean to a degree yeah That's i don't know to them it's, no you got yeah. it right because yeah. we're not basing anything on actual value anymore right like value is created by us we are value right so Food has value because we make the food, right? We eat the food. That's why it has value. Resources like gold and silver and oil and whatnot, trees, lumber, whatever, they have value because of the labor that we put in to get them out of the ground and use them. That's value. Paper has no value, right? Money has no value. Gold itself has no value except in how we use it and the process of taking it out of the ground. And so our perspective of value is completely skewed. And, and so we're not actually operating in the real world in terms of, of what value is. We're operating in this fictitious world where we've kind of arbitrarily decided things are, are valuable in, in a measurable way according to these pieces of, of credit that we've all just, just um, agreed to use. They're not based on anything. And, and the problem is, is that we're not in charge of, the, of those credits. Those credits just get inflated whenever the, the system wants to, to inflate them, right? The government can just borrow more money or create more money. And so it, what was the quote? It was by one of the original founding fathers in the US is that um, inflation is a hidden tax, right? Because <laughs> that's what it is, right? Is that you can save all the money you want, but if they inflate the economy, your money is worthless. It doesn't matter how long you hold on to it or what your interest rate is. If the inflation rate is deteriorating the value of your money just as fast, you're in serious shit. You know, like um, back in the 50s, I think it was uh, a quarter, a quarter was an actual quarter ounce of silver, right? And you could buy a gallon, a gallon of gas for a quarter, for a quarter ounce of silver. Well, now a gallon of gas costs you, I don't know, like four or five bucks or something, right? Just happens to be the exact value of a quarter ounce of silver, right? So, mm nothing's actually changed in terms of value 
it's the dollars we use that have become worthless. Mm. Yeah, very, very interesting. And especially, I mean, especially since it was taken off the gold standard, right? In the 70s, that's where it really became completely <laughs> valueless. And, and people, you know, people will ask when I talk about Bitcoin sometimes, and I'm far from even, you know, close to an expert, but they'll say, you know, what, you know, what value does it have? Do you think part of it is the act of mining like that, the time that it takes for that? Yep. That's exactly is that the main? Is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's what I always thought, but then, you know, people will just say, you know, it's, we just decide on it. We could say that it's worth X if we want, it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure. No, but again, and, and, and the fact that it's yeah. deflationary, right? Like it, it mm-hmm. there is a limited amount of Bitcoin that will ever be in existence. And so, you know, you talk about scarcity driving up the, the price of something or the value of something. This is, this is something that the scarcity is, is basically set in stone as opposed to say gold, where gold will be evaluated according to the amount of gold that's known to be in the world. And then all of a sudden they find a new vein and that just changes the entire supply chain, right? So that changes the value of gold. Whereas with Bitcoin, they're never going to find more Bitcoin. Like there's a, there's a limited amount of Bitcoin that will ever be. And, and with that in mind, it's important to remember that, that the Bitcoin frenzy that we're going through right now will eventually change. Like in the next 10 years, when, when Bitcoins are, are harder to mine and when, when we, as we st- keep going towards more and more having events, it's, it's going to change the, the way that Bitcoin is traded. It's going to become more like gold than it is even right now. It's going to stabilize over time. But right now, what we've got is this huge media frenzy, as well as the realization that we don't need the system to create currency. Right? Like, we, we, can, we can trade value ourselves based on our labor, right? I go out, I make a paycheck, I buy Bitcoin. That's me turning the value of my labor into the value of Bitcoin, Right. So it's just interesting that that I think that insight is going to lead us to an insight that we can also govern ourselves without representatives. Yeah, that would be an exciting insight, I would say. But it's funny to seeing just the people who are sort of in power and in, in, you know, heads of these massive banks and organizations. And I saw it was on Instagram, maybe last week, a video of comparing the head of the company, like talking shit about Bitcoin, basically. And then the week following after the little dip, because of the, how much power they have, their company bought a shitload of Bitcoin. And it's, it's so disgusting. But at the same time, how could you even fault them that much for it? Like they're driven by that. If they have the opportunity to have some sort of sway, how can you even really fault them for it? It's kind of the, the structure of it. I think it's great. I, I think that it's, uh, you, you go ahead, dig in, right? Buy, buy as much Bitcoin as you want. Just, just keep getting that value out of the fiat, right? Just, just keep messing with the currency as it is because that that's, that's something that can destabilize the world in a huge way. If everybody keeps dumping their value into cryptocurrencies that the system doesn't control, that, that's, that's a great way of destabilizing things for sure. But that's why you have the system trying to establish control. That's why you have China banning Bitcoin again for the 40th time or something. Right? And you have different country, countries that are adopting Bitcoin en masse, which is fantastic too, right? So there, there's just, 
there's so much uncertainty moving forward because the technology that is adapting out of out of again our society our younger minds that aren't focused on on our ideas some or on our idea of ourselves so much as what can we do with this new technology um that's going to change things the system can't adapt fast enough for it which is why i always enjoy watching members of parliament or members of congress who are in their 70s asking executives from social media companies questions about technology and you're like you don't even know what that means you're asking about something you don't even understand and and somebody wrote that for you to ask and yet you're still in charge how are you still in charge right it just it's so funny it's again it's if you can learn to laugh at the absurdity while this giant play goes on, then you're going to be in a much better state of mind to deal with it because things are going to get weirder. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I'm grateful that I sort of realized was just to be able to just realize how absurd it is and be able to laugh, I think, in versus getting angry and just sort of bottling up this sphere of anger that doesn't go anywhere because there's not that much you can do immediately about it. Not to say there's nothing besides embodying, you know, the universe and this idea of unity, but yeah, I think who is it? Albert Camus. Does he talk about the absurdity? I think I've seen some stuff. He may uh, discuss just the absurdity of it all. And the realization of that can be, actually extremely freeing as opposed to depressing yes. um and it can That's kind of keeps me going yeah for kind sure of, kind of flip it a little bit because it could go either way well so. and and i'll say that that is in no small part um informed by my awareness of my awareness like i talk about um living stress-free or, or rather being able to adapt to reality as it goes and a big part of that, I'm not going to lie, is the, is the fact that I know I'm not Ray, right? Like, I, I know, like, the whole world could burn and I'm still going to be standing because I'm the universe. I'm always going to be in one form. It's always me. It's always awareness at the end of yeah. the day. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm standing on the edge of the bonfire dancing just because, you know, the worst that could happen is it gets out of hand and then we start over. But as far as I, as far as I'm concerned is that if I can show other people, we don't have to contribute to the fire. We can dance. We can, we can walk away from this shit entirely right, and start something else. Um, I think that's the most beneficial thing I can do. And, and that goes back to a question you asked in a previous episode about, you know, like how can we enjoy our lives when there's so many bad things happening in the world? And it's like, because that's, what's going to help those things eventually stop. That's what's going to help, you know, the ripples that, that bring those things to a, to a halt or rather minimize them. Right. If we can create a world where, where we are sharing, where we, we do see each other as, as one another, that changes everything. It may not change everything overnight. And I'm not going to say like in 20 years time, we're going to be living in a utopia. But if we really took this to heart, a couple of generations down the road, the world would look completely different, completely different. And since that's us a couple of generations down the road, it makes sense that we should just get to work. But that starts with that recognition that it's us a few generations down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think realizing that that's been one of the biggest understandings that I've come to just having these conversations uh, mostly with you, but about, you know, cause that was something I was struggling with just like my, my ego coming out being like, what, you know, how could you be 
it's feeling so good right now. There's so much shit going on, but I think realizing that I am that shit and I embody it all. And I, the only thing truly impactful, even though it may seem to the ego that has a form and is, you know, this idea of Andrew can't see beyond itself in that way. So it thinks that it has to impact it now in some way and make me feel bad about not doing it immediately. Yeah. And then realize, so realizing that this does go on for eternity and the most impactful thing we can do are just have conversations like this and, and help people to see that, you know, we're not, you're not just just that. Yeah. Yeah. Just be there because you can, right? Like somebody is going through something, you can't solve their problem. Maybe the best thing you can do is just be there without needing anything from them, right? Just to show them that not everybody does, right? And, and that's that's the whole point. It's just the more you come to peace with who you are, the more you're in alignment as what is, the more you're able to model exactly how freeing that feeling is to be in what is, because that's all we're ever doing. Right. Like I, I talk to people all the time and they they often comment, I feel like I can talk to you about anything. It's like, well, you can't, because I I'm not holding on to any of it. I don't have any set opinions on you. I don't have any judgment of you, and I'm not trying to get anything out of you. So you are probably with about the safest person you could possibly meet right now. Right. And and to me, that's its own reward. I love that. And then people walk away wanting to give that to other people, right? Because it's a gift that costs nothing and changes everything. Yeah, I'm actually, so I started a few days ago or last week, this ebook that I've been working on a little bit and I'm really trying to be particular with how I started off and I want it to be just sort of this place that people can go if they're struggling with, you know, different things, sort of, like I've posted videos about, I don't know, hundred topics at least. And I want it to just be a place where it's all kind of there and I update it regularly, but I'm, I'm starting things off and I was writing my intro and this idea of, and I I'm focusing on this idea that there is no should and basically explaining early on that you, if there's one message to take away from this book is that you don't need this book and you don't need me and there is no should, there is no right way, any of the topics that are discussed in this book, that is not the right way to do it. It is a way that may be able to help. And because we've talked about in the past, how you've been asked, you know, if you'd ever write a book and you're like, absolutely not, because I want to be a part of the conversation. And so I, I want to sort of toe that line of putting something concrete out there, but explaining that it isn't something that you need. And that message in and of itself, I think can sort of be that, you know, teach you how to fish as opposed to giving a bunch of fish. But yeah, I've been, I've been really trying to express that early so that people real help hopefully realize that and then are able to utilize it, you know, in whatever ways they see fit, I guess. Totally. No, I think that's a great idea. I'm looking forward to reading it because uh, as you're noticing, it's tricky, right? It's tricky because you want to write something like, 
this is all you need to, oh shit, I just gave him an answer. Right. <laughs> right. Like you're just like, no, that's not what I want to do. Um, I remember uh, I wrote a, an ebook back in like I think 2005, 2006. It's called You Are. Um, and yeah, it was just, I just want to express this. And, and very much the forward of it is this is just a discussion. This is just me chatting to you about things that I have noticed. That's it. And it was, it ended up being fairly short. And I, I went back and I looked at it recently and it's like, that's yeah, okay. It's, on, it's kind of on point. Right. But it, it's just interesting how the way we want to express this changes so much over time. Like I I've, I've done so many articles and, and, and eBooks and seminars and workshops and, and, and stuff like that over the years. And each time how I express it changes, how I, how I see it should be expressed or it could be expressed changes over time. So I'm stoked that you're writing this and I'm looking forward to five years down the road when you do another similar thing, maybe a longer book and you look back at this ebook and you go, Hey, that's pretty good. But I think I could have said it differently this way. Right. Cause it, it's, it's always the, the process of refinement, right? Like we are the process of refinement when we're focused on awareness, our awareness just continues to grow. And, and as a result, everything we do becomes more and more efficient. Right, becomes more and more to the point. And, I, and I'm always amazed by that. That's why when I was in school and they're like, you know, your brain will change according to anything you practice. That just blew my mind. I was just like, really? Anything I practice, eh? And, and so over time, it's like, well, what if I practice being free? Right? What if I practice letting go of my assumptions? What if I practice? And, and that's the point. Your brain learns that, but it, it's the, just the process of going through it. And then as you do, you start to realize, Oh, wow. It's almost like a, its own form of gravity. Like it, the, the farther you go, the more it refines itself. It becomes almost self-perpetuating. This is why I've said to people that once you hit that, that state of neutrality, which is kind of what you were uh, communicating at the beginning of this episode, there's no turning back, right? It's very difficult to go back to egotism without actually feeling yourself drop in energy, right? Like you, you, you'll hit neutrality. You'll be like, okay, this is, this is, this is okay. This is neither good nor bad. Not sure what to do or why I should do it. <laughs> right. But yeah. you know, at least I'm not focused on myself. So there's a good thing. And then it's just practicing. Okay. Well doing, so you go do something without defining yourself with it. And you start to realize that, oh, well, I, that was me expressing my growth again. And, and everything becomes its own reward. And that leads to acceptance and so on. Right. But neutrality, neutrality changes everything, you know, in uh, power versus force Hawkins says that courage is really the, the defining line between one energy level and another that once you're willing to move forward for its own purpose, not for the reward and not for fear of the consequence that your, your mentality changes entirely. And I think that that's true to a degree, but I think neutrality is often where people get scared because courage still has that feeling of, this is me, right? Whereas neutrality is just like drifting in space, right? And you get there and it can be a little freaky when you're used to constantly being driven by your idea of yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's sort of where I'm at right now. And the idea of drifting through space is kind of like, uh, it's kind of freak. It's, it's freaky, but just uncomfortable and feels like why do that? But it's also at the same time, like we are doing that, whether we think we are, or we think we aren't, whether we think we have this control of ego or we're not it's like it's happening 
whether you think it is or it isn't is what I'm starting to realize more so. And even on days, like I used to, I mentioned when I wouldn't meditate in the morning, I would, you know, be a little bit concerned, you know, if, if something starts to go awry and then it hit me a couple of days ago that things would go awry either way. And I handled it either way. And I, I sort of attached this idea of because I meditated for 10 or 15 minutes, I was better able to, but I think there was a day, like I did meditate and then I didn't meditate the next day. And both days things happen and both days I've figured it out, you know, and it, it just sort of hit me that maybe that isn't, Oh shoot. Just hit my mic. Um, maybe that isn't, you know, the X factor. And to the degree that I thought it was because there was a day that I did meditate and things went awry and I felt just the same as when I didn't. And yeah, but I think for a lot of people, including myself, the idea of floating through space is kind of, it kind of freaks you out because you're so used to this idea of having a path and a direction and a way to progress and, and all these ideas of where to get and the ideal place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there isn't. No, nope. yeah. absolutely. And, and, you know, at that point you can look for the old, the old reliable ways of, of gaining momentum, right. Which is desire or fear, right. Um, you know, fear of missing out is probably one of my favorites, right. It's like, Oh God, there could be something over there. It's like, right. But and you can do all of that. that. That's the whole point about drifting in space. Is where do you want to go? Which direction do you want to go? Right. And, and it's like, well, why? Why not? Right. Like, what's your alternative? Sitting still? You can do that too. Right. <laughs> like, either way, you're still being, you're still doing everything you're supposed to do. But it's, it's being free of, of the meaning about you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's all it is. Is that, right. Right. This doesn't, actually mean anything about me personally it's just what i'm doing right and what i can pull out of it whereas we we tend to judge ourselves for everything for everything because it's just it's preferable to sitting in space that's what it is right it's like no no i want to know where i am i know or who i am right Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being anything i need to be given the moment that I'm in, given the experience that I'm having, right? And so it's like, no, I'd, I'd rather be a Swiss army knife at the end of the day. Like I would rather be a infinitely adaptable tool than a one purpose function. Like I would rather just, just adapt to whatever's happening. And, and the more you adapt, the better you get at it, right? But that's the thing about neutrality is that once you're there, you can't fast track that progress and that progression out of neutrality, right? You actually have to get used to neutrality and just doing things. And then as you do things, then they, they become their own, their own purpose, their own reason, right? It's whatever you do. It's, and you've experienced that before. Like you said, you get into something and it's kind of like just laser focus on that thing, right? That's exactly the feeling where it's not about you as a person. It's about the thing that you're digging into. It's like, oh, that's neat. Oh, what right like bitcoin and and how it leads you to to the economy and and money and everything else like you can get into that and you can define yourself as being against the system and you can you can build up your ego of yourself and you can be a revolutionary you can do all that or you can look at all that information and go wow that's what's running this and get some insights out of it and all of a sudden you have grown as a person without defining yourself in opposition to something that's not going to change as a result of your opposition anyway 
yeah i that realization that it's like you're always being yourself and you're always changing at the same time and it seems like we've sort of very much separated them even though they're always both the case and we think like oh i'm either changing temporarily and not being myself and then i'll be myself again or i'm being myself and i'm not changing but it's like no part of being yourself is changing because you're always both i'm not the same as i was when this podcast began but i've been myself the entire time yeah that was perfectly said. I, I can't express that any perfectly. That, that's perfect, right? And that's it. And, and the same is true for everybody, right? This is all me in different variations. Same awareness, completely different circumstances, completely different expression, right? And, and once you get to that point, it's very difficult to judge people, as we've said before, right? Was, and we can't judge ourselves. So how can we judge them? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that ties directly into the act of judgment and how it's made it very difficult for me to judge. I still do as everyone does certainly, but I catch myself very quickly and I catch when it is happening. And I've, I've made videos about that and I'll have people commenting like, Oh, you know, I can't, you know, I could never, you know, be a serial killer or something like I'm, I'm better than that. I was like, well, get off your high horse for a second and realize that maybe if you grew up in the same circumstances as them went through the same shit and had the same, you know, DNA composition, you, well, you are them, but you would be, you know, this idea of them as well. And you would do that most likely. But I don't like that. That, that, <laughs> that makes my idea of myself very uncomfortable. And, and this goes back to the brutal honesty, right? It's, we can't understand what others do if we accept that we have the capacity to do the same, right? So murderers will always go, oh, I can't understand how they ever got here until we recognize, oh, okay, yeah, I can see if I followed that path of resent far enough, that path of identification far enough, that path of victimization far enough that, yeah, it would make me want to have that urge. And if I followed that even further and exacerbated it with certain influences or certain company, yeah, I can see how in the vast spectrum of the geography of our consciousness, I could end up in a deep, dark place where certain things make sense that wouldn't otherwise. And, and I think that that's important is being able to recognize that it may not make sense to me here and now, but that doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I was meant to bring that up when we were talking about, you know, the serial killer conversation is I think part of our way through that or i don't know i just having that sense of empathy is realizing that we're you're no different than them and that if you had like you just mentioned gone through all of those same scenarios situations and everything that you would act as they do but that yeah people like to get on their high horse when it comes to that conversation and think oh there's no way and i'm like well who who do you think you are with you know define yourself and if if you are nothing more than your past experiences and you know some string of dna and whatnot and your environment that you grew up in your parental you know overseeing and whatever like 
that person went through the same types of things differently. And here we are. So how could you think that you wouldn't like, how could you possibly say that? Because you are nothing more than that. This idea of you is that, and this idea of them is that. So it gets swapped and you are them. But the temptation is always so, so prominent that um, if I judge them, I gain value in comparison, right? If they're a bad person, I am good by contrast. And that's, that's almost too juicy of a tidbit to turn up if you don't understand that that leads to toxicity, that leads to more judgment and comparison, more lack and insecurity later. If you don't get all that, then you're just like, yeah, sign me up for the moral superiority train, right? Like I'm, I'm good to go. And then when somebody comes along and says, well, you know, the, that person's life had other uh, contributing factors, they have an opportunity to either be reasonable, which is to question their assumptions, right? Or they're just going to double down and then label you as a sympathizer of evil, right? <laughs> so they can judge you and continue to validate themselves again, right? And so again, it's, it's kind of 50-50. Like you, some people are going to take the opportunity to grow and other people are going to double down on their ego. Um, but I, I think, or at least what I'm finding more and more, just to tie back into the, the uh, conversation that this podcast has been about this episode, that more and more people are leaning towards questioning. More and more people are leaning away from the old structured, institutionalized uh, illusions of stability and security that used to be there, you know, which is why I enjoy it when I read articles about how the number of people practicing Christianity is at an all-time low. It's like, yeah, that's fantastic. Let's keep that trend going, right? Because they're at an all-time low because their environment and, and the experiences they're having do not line up with the structure that they're being told is the truth. And so out of necessity, they're, they're, they're coming into cognitive dissonance or, or rather they're coming into extreme discomfort because of that contradiction. And they have to walk away and find something else, which is leading them to question other things, which is sometimes turning into um, spirituality of another kind where instead of worshiping Jesus, they're worshiping source or, or whatever it may be. But the point is, is that it, it's a movement in the right direction. It's the movement towards the habit of questioning if we can just have the discussion about the danger of settling on an answer then uh, we'll progress at a much faster rate i think at least yeah certainly and i think what we were discussing before with with the idea of judgment and not thinking not being able to see yourself in someone else's shoes it's it's like you've mentioned before sort of that side two sides of the same coin where when it's you know someone's less than you 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 do it to make yourself feel better, but then it's the same exact thing as when someone you see someone that's you know better than you and you feel feel bad about yourself. It's the same sort of thing, just the same coin, just two different sides. And and that judgment of the person seemingly lesser than you that you couldn't see yourself in is the same reason that you, you know, feel bad and compare yourself to everyone else in your life and feel bad when you see people's highlight reels on Instagram or TikTok or wherever, Facebook, and it's the same exact sort of thing. So if you're able to see yourself in that person, you think of as less than you, you won't get so tied to that judgment on of yourself on the other side of things when you're seeing all this you know these fake lives on social media exactly right you don't tend to jump into the assumptions as much it's like uh, yeah. shakespeare right nothing in the world is good or bad but thinking makes it so 
Yeah, one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> so good. It's so good. And and it's it's exactly for that reason is that um, we get so caught up in our assumptions that we forget that we're only interacting with the world of assumptions until we start to question our assumptions. And then it's all of a sudden it's like not just the window opens, all the freaking walls disappear. And now suddenly you're 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 in space again. And it really is that transition between the illusion of being in a bubble of your own creation that you can convince you didn't create, you can convince everybody else forced you into, or you can convince, you know, there are reasons to justify that, that bubble, or you can question the point of all of it and find yourself back in this state of, oh, I don't know what to do. And then from there, moving forward, avoiding the pitfalls of identification, avoiding the pitfalls of, of you know, reflexively creating that bubble. The real question is what's possible? A and that's both true individually and collectively. And I think that that's, that's what's exciting to me is that the question, what's possible if we just let go of what we know is coming to the surface more. And as we ask it, things are gonna change and they are changing. It's just, it's like a sleeping giant. When it starts to roll over, it starts very slow, right? But once it's in full swing, everything changes quick. And that's what's happening. Our mentality is rolling over slowly, but as it gains momentum, the whole system's gonna change as a result. It's already happening, right? But uh, as always, the revolution will not be televised. <laughs> and all of that in mind, we're at an hour and a half again. Um, we didn't, I think that's just the uh, average episode length at this point. Um, we're going to wrap up, but uh, as always, we have a workshop happening on October 19th, Tuesday. Uh, that's a four-week workshop, once a week. It's an hour and a half per week, and we will be discussing so social anxiety and some of the ways to deal with that. Um, it, additionally, every third Wednesday of the month, we have a patron only live stream that we're going to be doing. Andrew and I will be answering questions for our supporters on Patreon. So you're welcome to find that link in our bio as well. And of course, we will see you next week in episode five.